Well, turn in your Bible this morning to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Father, as we approach your word, we thank you that your word is alive. It's a living thing, Lord, that it's truth that sets free. We thank you for it, that your word sets us free today as we put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice this, it's always the doers that are blessed, not just the hearers. Amen. You know, you can have, you can have closets full of CDs, tapes, cassettes, and 8-tracks, but it's not going to do you any good until you put it into practice. I mean, I got, I got boxes full of cassette tapes. I've got CDs. I've got things. I don't even know how they play. They're so scratched up, you know. But, you know, just because I've had those things or I've heard it before doesn't mean it's going to bless me today. I have to put it into practice. I have to be a doer of that word. Genesis 22. And just a little recap, we've been talking about the names of God in the last couple of weeks. How many remember that? And so we began talking a couple of Sundays ago about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. And you know, it, it is so sad when you hear um, just the, the agony that people go through. And, and when you go to a hospital or you go to different facilities, people are really hurting. People, I mean, you know, whether it's accidents and things like that, but just different things that people develop, um, different um, maladies that they face. That's why we have to have healing in our hands. Amen. We have to be healed ourselves. Then we have to be the healing extension of Jesus Christ in the earth today. Jesus said this, or actually Paul said this, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus healed, and he did, two-thirds of his ministry was or one-third of his ministry, the Bible says he went preaching, teaching, and healing. He spent much time praying for the sick, ministering to the sick, casting out devils. Amen. That's what the ministry of Jesus should look like today. Hallelujah. And so we talked about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Say this, I have a healer today. I have a great physician. Amen. You know, when, when your regular physician tells you that they've done everything they can, and that's all too easy to happen, then the great physician steps in. Now, I believe, you know, you don't have to wait till you're on death's door. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, we, we tried everything else. I guess we're going to have to pray. You should be praying from the very beginning. You should be seeking God from the very beginning. Don't wait till you're flat on your back. You know, people say, Oh, boy, you know, the Lord put me on my back. No, it was just you were too hard-headed and stubborn and, to, and you had to wait till you, you, you know, everything was taken from you and then you, you sought God. But it doesn't have to be that way. I don't know if people like that or not, but that's true. The Lord, my physician. And we talked about how healing is a part of redemption. We see healing in the ministry of Jesus. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the enemy. So 
the same ministry of Jesus that's operating today should look the same. That he's healing and he's setting people free. Then we, be, we talked about El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. <laughs> we talked about how Abraham had too many goats, too many cattle, too many herds. And so much so that he and Lot had to separate. <clears throat> and so we see that God blessed Abraham, blessed his son Isaac, blessed his son Jacob, and it goes on from there. We talked about Moses and the burning bush. Let my people go. We talked about how God delivered his people with a strong and a mighty hand because he's the God that's more than enough. Hallelujah. And so I want to continue today and speak about Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Everyone say, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Look in Genesis 22. Now this is when the Lord tells, well, let's just look in verse one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. That word tempt means he proved him. You know, God's gonna prove you before he promotes you to make sure that you, just like your children. How many know that you don't just promote your kids? Well, you know, I know that I told Johnny to do that 10 times. He didn't do it, but we're just gonna do this for him anyway. Well, that's not good. You need to make sure that Johnny does what he's told to do. I don't care if Johnny's 14 years old or 12, which my boys are, so. <laughs> you still have to remind them, son, you need to do this. So God did prove Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. You know, faith just steps out and obeys. What if he said, Lord, I want to know exactly where's the place. He said, go and I will show you. So Abraham rose up early in the morning. See, I love this because that's instant obedience. He rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of the men with him and Isaac, his son, and he claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lit up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go yonder in worship and come again to you. Now see, we know that Abraham, as we get further insight in the Bible, that he knew that God was able to raise him up. Because God had already promised that in Isaac shall all your seed be. In Isaac shall you be blessed. So how can Isaac, how can they be blessed through Isaac if Isaac is dead? So God, God had already made that promise. And, and so Abraham says, well, God, you're just going to have to raise him up, I guess. And that's where his faith was. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Say this, God will provide. 
So whatever it is you need in life, God will provide. Lord, I need healing. God on the other side. Actually, he already has 2,000 years ago. See, Abraham is on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of the cross that he was. That's why Peter said this. Isaiah said, with his stripes, we are healed. Peter said, by whose stripes you were healed. Well, if I was healed, why am I not walking in it? Maybe because you don't know about it. Maybe because you haven't claimed it yet. So he tells him, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, hear him out. And he said, lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know. Isn't that interesting? God says, now I know. Well, we know he's omniscient. He knows everything. But by this action, he proved to the Lord. It's like some people have said, you know, in, in their own um, relationship with God. God, um, the Lord would say something to him. And Lord, I'll do this. And, and the Lord say, prove it. Has the Lord ever told you that? Well, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. I love you. Okay, prove it. Do what I tell you to do. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do we know that we love God? We can say all day long, I love God. I love God. Lord, I'm not going to do what you said to do. Lord, I love you. I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Then he says, go. Lord, I love you. We'll do what I said. So we prove our love by our actions. Faith without works is dead being alone. <laughs> James said, you can show me your faith by your works. I'll, he said, I'll prove my faith by my works. So we always have, you know, the word works means corresponding action. If I love my son, then there's going to be corresponding action. If I love my wife, there's going to be corresponding action. Amen. If I love God, I'm going to have corresponding action. And so here he says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Now, I want you to understand that he was a prophet. So he, he had vision. He saw things. You know what he saw? The Bible says, that he looked and saw the place. Actually, Mount Moriah is a stone's throw from Calvary. I believe that in the spirit, he saw that God one day would give his son his only son. Did you notice what he, he said to Abraham? He said, he said, because you were gonna give your son your only son. You know what that did? God he put God in a place where he would give his son his only son, on the cross to give his life as a ransom for all. So he looked up and, and, and saw in the spirit, he saw Jesus at the cross. He looked in, but look at this. He said, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Say this with me. There's a ram on the way for me. You know, I mentioned this last week just because I shared just a couple verses. I wasn't trying to preach the whole sermon talking about Jehovah Jireh. But you know, God sets things in motion in our lives that if we are obedient and, and follow him, they will intersect our lives. But you know, we can do things. Thank God for mercy and thank God that there's, the Lord can make up things as well. But as we, we are in the plan of God, as we do what he wants us to do, we set ourselves in, uh, in the motion that God will intersect great things in our lives. So God has this ram just going the right way and this ram thinks, you know what, I, I might just better go over here to look for some vegetation. Let me go over here. And as he turns, he gets right there. Abraham, in his obedience, doing what God called him to do, they intersect at the right time. The ram is right there on the way. So he offers that burnt offering. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Yireh, but like we said, it makes it harder to sing the song, so we'll say Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, what that means is this. When we say Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see or provide. The Lord will see or provide. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men and they arose up and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So there's, there's many different things we could look in there, but we see that Abraham arose early. He had, he had that instant obedience. And so he said, God will provide a lamb. He, he knew enough about God. He knew enough about the character of God. He knew enough about the, the, the faithfulness of God. You know, there's, there's two different areas you always need to know in, in having faith in God. Number one is, the, we'll say it like this, the promise. Number two, the lions and the bears. I'm not talking about afternoon, Sunday afternoon football either. We're, we're talking about the, the promises of God. You need to have faith in the promise of God, but then also the lions and the bears is this, the faithfulness of God. David said, I took out the lion, I took out the bear, and so shall this uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to take out this giant. So as you have faith in the faithfulness of God, you know that you have faith in the one who promised. 
You have faith in the one who promised. You know, there's a lot of people, it doesn't matter what they say they'll do. You don't have faith in their character, so you don't have faith in what they say. But when you have faith in him, I know him. I know he's faithful. I know he's going to come through. I know the provision of the way. I know he will never let me down. I know he's with me. I know he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So whatever he tells me, I count it done. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Not as hard, it's impossible. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He must, you must believe the promises. You must believe what he said. And that he's a rewarder. See, if you think that, if you think God is, is always holding out on you, You'll never have faith in the promise. If you think he's just like reaching out and then right before you get, try to grab hold of it. Nope, just playing. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, if, if it was my boys, they'd reach out and say, psych. <laughs> my boys started saying that. I thought, that was something when I was young. Where, why is that recycled again, you know? Psych. You know, God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't just tempt us and say, oh, I just want to see. Oh, let's just, let's just hold that care a little bit longer and let you just keep following it along. No. But you have to have faith in the faithfulness of God. Hallelujah. And so the Lord who sees, God sees ahead and the Lord provides. So what happens is this. The Lord sees ahead and provides. The Lord saw ahead of time man's sin. God saw. And so he prophesied thousands of years before that there was coming one that would crush. The Bible talks about how he would bruise his heel, but he would crush his head. Amen. This, talking about the serpent. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so we see all these through the years. And it is amazing, talking about the faithfulness of God. He'll prophesy something 4,000 years ahead of time. <laughs> and it comes to pass. So some of us get, get a word from God, and, and it doesn't happen by then the next week, and we're all frustrated. <laughs> we're, we see this all through the Bible. He'll say something, and 400 years it happens later. But it's going to happen. That's why the Bible says, um, you know, those that are going to mock and, and scoff at his coming. Oh, you know, things are just like they've always been. And since the fathers fell asleep and, you know, where's the promise of his coming? But he is coming back. He is coming back. You know, I was thinking about um, Brother Jesse Duplantis when, when the Lord appeared to him in 1988, had this heavenly... Uh, vision that lasted somewhere around five hours and he was going to preach that night he knelt down and, and he, he went out to eat and um, he was with them you know preaching as an evangelist in this this uh, with this minister they had seen this restaurant across before we'll just say it's Piccadilly's or something people don't know what that was and uh, and um, you know they say oh man let's go over there so they, they went over there uh, after the service 
He just felt something in his spirit that something wasn't right. He said, Pastor, I'm just, I think they just ordered a drink, you know. I think he got a water, and he said, you know, I'm just going to go back to the hotel. Brother Jesse, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. He got, he got there, and he, he knelt down, and he began to, to um, pray. He said, like this. This wind came in, and, and he was caught up in the presence of God. How many know that doesn't happen to everybody? And so that, that was a divinely granted visitation. And in that visitation, though, he saw many different things. He saw families. He saw different um, people that, you know, what's, what's, what's um, that person? Um, and, you know, the Lord told him what happened. This happened. He, taught, he saw many babies and, and those that were just growing up. Those, and uh, he said, no, no baby is ever lost. And talking about abortion, and, and said, they come here, right here, and they're, they're learning. He talked about many different things. But at the end, he said, Jesus looked at him and said, tell my people I'm coming. He said, I was waiting for some huge revelation, you know. He said, Lord, they know that. He said, no, they don't know that. Tell them I'm coming. So that's what has been his message for all these years. <laughs> and so, you know, you think, oh, that was 35 years ago. He's still coming. He said another minister friend, um, I heard him say this like in about 93-ish or so. He said he had a friend that he, he had this vision and he saw this horse. And this horse was just restless. He said, what is that? He said, the, the Lord said, that's my horse. The Bible talks about Revelation 19 about him coming back on a white horse clothed with this garment. Whew, it says, faithful and true. Faithful and true. And his name is called the word of God. And it says that it's dipped in blood. Glory to God. But he's coming back. And the Bible says at the second coming of Christ, this is after the rapture of the church, the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years, which I'm looking forward to. And you're talking about a feast now. <laughs> you have this feast, and then you, the Bible says we come back with Christ Jesus, and the Bible says that, that he is just, by the word of his mouth, will destroy all his enemies. He's going to set up his throne. Unlike some people think, we are not in the millennium now. You know, I've, we've, we've heard that before. We are not in the millennium. How many know that we're not in the millennium now? And um, anyway, when we, we're in the millennium, it's going to be 1,000 years of peace. The enemy is going to be put in the bottomless pit. And then after that, for some unknown reason, I don't know. I don't know everything. <laughs> the Bible says he's going to be loose for a season. And some scholars say that that word season is like we see in other places, a period of about three and a half years. You know what? He still is trying to deceive people. That's all. You know, it's not like the devil learns a lesson or he gets better or reforms himself. <laughs> he, he's still waiting to get out to do one thing, and that's to deceive people. He cares for no, nothing for humanity. And so he just goes to deceive. 
And then the Bible says that he's going to be taken. This huge angel is going to grab hold of him, throw him into the lake of fire. That's going to be a glorious day. Don't, Pastor, don't you just have remorse and pity for him? None. None. I have, no, I have no love for the devil. I hate him. Amen. I don't hate people. I love people. I love God, but I hate the enemy. Amen. And when he gets his, I'm not going to shed a tear. <laughs> Hallelujah. So God sees ahead and he provides. And so he's our provider today. I want you to look over the New Testament. I just want to give you a couple other instances. John chapter 2. On that white horse, he'll be riding. I'll be riding with him. You know, of course, as you know me, I, I think in song. And there was a song many years ago, somewhere around 1987, written called I'll Be Riding With Him. And uh, anyway, that song always ministered to me because, you know, if you can have a hope of heaven, it, it'll help you get through anything. You know, Brother Hagin said when he was pastoring, he said every church he pastored was called a, past, a um, troubled church. You know, one side would look, sit on this side and glare at the ones on the other side. And just, you know, just every church would, had problems. He said he always came back to two things, preaching on love and preaching on heaven. He said if you can preach on, on love, getting people, you know, working together, if you can preach on heaven, things would just work out. People start, you know, getting heavily minded. But look at this here in John chapter 2. This is the, the story of when Jesus performed his first miracle. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. Jesus believes in, in weddings. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with you? My hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Do you know that that's the key to miracles today? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now how many know that at this point, either something good happened or something bad? You don't just fill with water. They need wine. But Jesus tells them, go fill with water. So as you know, as they go to the government of the feast, what's going to happen is maybe their, their job's in jeopardy, maybe their life's in jeopardy. And, and what, what is this, you know? Spit it out. This is water. Who brought this to me? And so, you know, maybe with fear and trembling, they went <laughs> and took it to him. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and he knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, 
they see they knew they knew who performed a miracle. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto them, Every man in the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, what do they mean? Cheap. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now I'm not here to talk about the difference in, in wine and, and things like that and the difference between then and today. That's not my, my message. But I want you to notice what happened. This was his first miracle. No one got saved. No one got healed. No one, no one got delivered. It was actually a miracle of provision. The first, they just needed wine. The first miracle of Jesus was provision. Hallelujah. Why? He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Look over in John chapter 6. And I'm not here to talk, I mean the whole the whole New Testament is full in the Gospels of Jesus providing other things. He provided healing, miracles, but we're, not, we're talking about just natural provision right now. John chapter 6. In verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Philip, where shall we... Buy bread that these may eat. Now, do you think Jesus knew what he was going to do? You think he was he was just asking for information's sake? You know, sometimes the Lord will ask you a question. He already knows the answer. He's just giving you a chance to walk in faith. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may, may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, brother, said to him, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fish. Lord, he's got that. But then he says this, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now, other places say this, with not including women and children. So you just think, if half of them were married, or if they were married, that's 10,000. And if they had one or two children, that's you know, you add that up, you're talking 20,000 right there. But they didn't have just kids, they had tribes. <laughs> so there was, I mean, you're talking multitudes of people. And he says, make the men sit down. The men sat down, number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments 
of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that prophet that, that should come into the world. And so, but I want you to notice, he had them sit down and the Bible says he took the loaves and what did he do? He gave thanks. Thank you, Lord, for this bountiful provision. But do you know that, that when he did that, it didn't just become this, this huge loaf? <laughs> just like the, 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 the fish. It didn't just multiply and, and, then, and then there's a whale. And you're, 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 you're breaking off a little piece of a whale. No, the Bible says that he gave thanks and distributed to the disciples and they gave. So here's the miracle happened in the giving. Here's a piece. Here's a piece. Oh, there's more. Here, wait, I just gave that piece, but it's still there. I'm going to give a piece. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I mean, we've heard of testimonies of this. Even there's a pastor in Haiti. And... Um, they, they have people come over. He's a pastor, has a Bible school. And um, they'll have people come over. And, and they'll say, um, one man of God was there. He said, do you have food for these people? He's not really. And, and people come all the time to this pastor's house. And he said, they'll have fried chicken. And the fried chicken multiplies. <laughs> Whatever food they have just multiplies. Amen. Something that's, that's right now in the 21st century. As you give, it's multiplied. Same thing as you give personally. Give unto the Lord. What's going to happen? It's going to come back. Good measure, shaking the ground, running over. Running over shall be given to you. So it's when you break it. Hallelujah. And then... You know, the Bible tells us over in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. So if you can find any instance in the whole Bible where God did something that set a precedent, you know that he's the same today. Amen. He healed. Jesus forgave. He set free. He cast out devils. I mean, no, we still have to cast out devils today. There's just as many demons around as there was 2,000 years ago. You know, like, it's like, you know, you, you've heard people say things like this. Well, you know, and I, I mean, I heard this when I first got saved. Well, why don't we just cast the demons and cast them into the pit? And there was a minister, he had a visitation of the Lord, and he, he asked the Lord about that. He said, Lord, can, can, we, can we do that? Can we just cast demons into the pit? He said, well, no. He said, not really. He said, maybe the very lower class of demons, you could do that. But he said, it really doesn't make any difference. He said, don't, he said, also, don't you think that while I was here on the earth, if you could do that, I would have cast them all in there so you wouldn't have to deal with them? Amen. There, there are forces against us, but we are triumphant. Greater is he that is within us. Amen. Amen. The, the enemy, you know, the Bible talks about if, if the prince of this world had a known he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. 
And, and what it is, the Bible says in 1 John 4, the first couple of verses, it talks about the evil spirits that are in this world. Those are the ones that we've overcome. Why? Because greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. Smith Wigglesworth said this, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. You know, I'm not just a, this little light of mine, you know, it's like as big as a match. I'm going to let it shine. It's like a cigarette lighter. You know, I'm just going to let it shine. And, you know, that's not it. There's a flame on the inside. Come on, there's an inferno. There should be something on the inside that just, you know, it sets you ablaze and it sets someone else ablaze as well. <laughs> then I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians 8. We'll, we'll land on this verse here. You know, I don't think John, Peter and John thought they just had a little light. You know, we just have this, this little light. We just want to tell you about this, this little bit of the gospel. No, there, there's a, an inferno. There's a, there's, a, there's a fire. That's why the Bible says Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. I don't just need the Holy Ghost, but I need the Holy Ghost and fire. Samson set fire to the, the foxes, 300 foxes. They had an unconditional compelling that they had to move. Now, honestly, I, I, I've hunted before. I've never hunted foxes. I've never tried to catch them. I don't know how. I know they're, they seem pretty elusive when you see them. But he caught them, 300 of them. So that's a great feat in itself. And they were still alive. I don't know how long that took to, you know, what do you gather like a thousand men? Okay, you know, they went into fox headquarters and then just grabbed 300 foxes. But he got all these foxes and then tied their tails together, set fire to them. Now, boy, they were going crazy then. It was like putting two cats together. <laughs> set them on fire. And what happened? They, they felt this compelling. Anyone ever put their finger in a light socket or had something like that happen, you put a tool in <laughs> You'll know. You'll get a revelation. Second <laughs> Corinthians 8, verse 9. So we're talking about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Is God interested in me today? Yes. Does God care about me? Yes. Does he care about my needs? He's care, he cares about everything that concerns me. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Now, this is a verse that the world, the ungodly, the World Economic Forum, all, all of these people would try to write this verse out. I'll just tell you, that, I'll tell you what happened. You know, all these people that say you, you shouldn't have land and you shouldn't have this, you, you know, and you're going to do this. And the people that work behind the scenes to control your life. People think, oh, that's conspiracy theory. No, it's conspiracy truth. <clears throat> but one of the things that happened, and this happened even last year at one of the major conventions for one of the denominations, 
is they got up and said that, that prosperity is of the devil and that it's a cult. You know why? Because they were being funded some money, taking some money in the back from the World Economic Forum. Preachers, you know, you preach on this, you don't preach on that. I mean, of course, I'm not even gonna get into the Bible schools, how that happened all through the centuries. With the Carnegies, funding money to, to, to keep um, Bible schools, we'll just say neutered. They would just say it in a good way like that. To where they have no power, to where there, there is no anointing, there is no Holy Ghost book of Acts. But we know there is. Because he's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And so one of the things, though, that they said was... Um, what, what they're afraid of, the powers that be, they're afraid of the Holy Ghost. They're afraid of healing because, you know, if, if you know, we bring this sickness, we bring this uh, infirmity across the planet, then they'll get healed and they'll walk in a divine power. And prosperity, abundance. Why? Because when you have money, you don't have to obey everything that people say. You can do what God tells you to do. Yeah. And see, that's what he says. Look in this eighth chapter, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. How I many know that's New Testament? I know the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he was. Yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be poor as well. No, that you through his poverty might be rich. That you might be abundantly supplied. That you would have more than enough. And thank God, you know, you know we don't, I don't look down on people that need help. Because people need help. But what God's idea is, is that we, he blesses us and gets us into a place where we can help others. Yeah. Why? Because what, the, what control does, I don't care if you're talking about through a, an epidemic or a pandemic and everything, it's, it's about control. And then you can't do this. Then you give up your weapons. Then you give up your land. Yeah. Then, you're, then you're just part of a, a concentration camp. Amen. That's why the gospel has to be preached. Amen. That's why the gospel is the only answer. Yes. Can you say amen? amen? So Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace says this, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Now, you know when that happened? Yes, when he came from heaven. When you, when you are in the presence of the Father in heaven, and you come to earth. How many know that's like, seems like a demotion? It seems like a little bit less than heaven. Paul said, you know, my, I'm going to desire, he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Not just a little bit, but it's far better. But he said, I need to just stick around for you guys because you need me right now. So he was very rich beyond measure, but even in his life, he had his knees met. But though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes, he became poor. See, that was part of redemption. When Jesus, you can go look in Isaiah 53 and you'll see that when the, when the stripes were laid on Jesus, that took our healing. But when, when he was nailed on the cross, he took more than just our sins. He took our shame. He took um, mental problems. He took, um, he took our poverty. That's part of redemption. And see, that's where a lot of the modern churches try to take a theological scalpel, take that out and, and set it aside. But it all comes all together. I may remember Jesus ministering to people. The man that was born before that they carried through the roof, paralyzed. And um, he's healed. And he says, man, your sins be forgiven you. And they said, who is he that, that he's blaspheming? Who can forgive sins? And their good religious voice, who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and Jesus perceived their thoughts and said, what's easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you? Or rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins, now he turned to the man. I say unto you, arise and walk. What, what is he saying? It's just as easy to be healed as it is to be forgiven. Amen. And notice he dealt with the man's condemnation and his faith before he dealt with healing. Because if you have condemnation in your life, if you have a, a low self-worth, you're not going to be able to reach up and receive what God's given you. That's why he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Oh, wow. He said, I'm forgiven, I'm clean. And then he goes on and rebukes the Pharisees. I love how Jesus preached several messages at a time. He'll be talking to him, then he'll turn to this one and just rebuke him one side and the other. And then he turns back and say, man, I say unto you, rise and take up your bed and walk. And because he did, he had the faith to do it. And then he, he took up his bed and walked. Hallelujah. Everyone say, Jehovah Jireh. My provider. my provider. So whatever you need today, just claim it. Just look at it and say, Father, I know that you're the same God. I know that you, you said that you'd never leave me nor forsake me. Lord, you're interested in, in everything that concerns me. You know what Romans says? That if God gave his son, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Why? Because... How many know a house payment is a lot less than paying for your sins? Healing your body is a lot less. You can go to, you can go to heaven with sickness, but you can't go to heaven with, without being a new creature in Christ. But he's interested in everything. Everything that pertains to me. Why? Because it's his good pleasure. He can't help himself. He loves us so much if we'll just reach out and receive. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we just thank you for your presence today. We thank you for being so good to us. Lord, we just thank you for your anointing. We thank you, Lord, for your word in this place. And Father, we just thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And Lord, I just thank you right now the Lord, 2,000 years ago, you provided salvation. 
And so, Lord, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice would know for sure today that they are right with you and that they are on their way.